Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up, and I just had some delicious coffee. And I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. My Liberty Kitty Cats, welcome back to another edition of Lions of Liberty, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. I keep showing up every single darn Monday, even after Porkfest, even after I just got back from Porkfest in the wee hours of the evening, you still get an episode today, and that is because I recorded this before Porkfest. (laughs) So I might just be recovering from Porkfest right now. I'm assuming I had an amazing time seeing so many great names and faces and hopefully recording uh, a lot of interviews, which, if you are a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, are supporters on Patreon, which you can find more about at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. You guys hopefully got a bunch of great content over the weekend because my plan was to upload as much as possible to that podcast feed. So I'm speaking about the present, even though I'm in the past and you guys are in the future. This is all very confusing, as time travel often is. But regardless of all of that, I have an awesome show for you today. I've got two amazing activists in the libertarian movement here to talk about some very important issues. But first, I got to remind you where to find today's show notes because you are going to need them. This is the 406th episode of this program. That means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 406. Let's get roaring, shall we? All right, friends, I am here with two of my favorite people in the entire Liberty universe. That is true. You can fact check me on it. Uh, My first guest is the editor-in-chief of the anti-media. She got her start making YouTube videos, most notably the one where she burned her Obama t-shirt. Her work has also been published in Newsweek at Ron Paul's Liberty Report and the Foundation for Economic Freedom. She was recently, sadly, deplatformed off Twitter, and we'll get more into that uh, as we go into the show. Pleased to welcome back Carrie Wedler. Carrie, are you ready to roar? I am so ready. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And uh, my next guest, he is the co-founder of News to Share, an engine for independent videographers and citizen journalists. His work has been featured on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, ABC, and more. And his YouTube channel was sadly recently demonetized during YouTube's latest crackdown on hate speech. We're going to get into all this stuff in the show. Please welcome back Ford Fisher. Ford, are you ready to roar? Yes, a sad demonetized roar for you. <laughs> oh no, I didn't, I didn't know it affected the roaring too. Yes, they got my roaring even, yeah. They're sneaking to every aspect of this thing, huh? Yep, everywhere. Right, I try, I try to sleep and they're like, you're not going to monetize that. <laughs> it well, didn't make any sense, but all right. Hey, we don't need to make sense here. That's the last thing no, the show is about. <laughs> Uh, I did want to. I do wish I had like happier, cheerier discussions to have with you guys. But what I really want to kind of focus on today are your recent uh, your run-ins with big tech, as we might call them. Uh, but first, since it's been a little while since both of you have been on the show, Carrie, why don't you first start off just sort of reintroducing yourself? You were on interviewed by me a few years ago. Uh, maybe give people the quick little Cliff Notes version of how you went from a girl with a, a crush on Obama back in the day to uh, a uh, a roaring anarchist, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So I'm from Los Angeles, California. I think most listeners are probably able to assume what the general political ideology is there. So I grew up in a very progressive liberal atmosphere. 
And I fell for Obama hook, line, and sinker. And I loved him. And I thought that he was like a combination of Abraham Lincoln with JFK, but for the modern era. And I was very excited about it. I was telling everybody that they were going to regret not voting on the right side of history, blah, 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 blah. And eventually, uh, he had been in office for a few years. I felt kind of dumb. I was like, hmm, I don't know what's going on in the world at all. So the second I started actually uh, doing my research, I realized that Obama was a fraud, he was a war criminal, and he was very corrupt. And just like every other politician who I thought I had been voting against by casting a vote for him, and that's when I was introduced to Ron Paul. And between listening to Ron Paul and having studied, studied history in college as a progressive, but still taking in all the information, everything just kind of started to click where I realized like, hmm, what's the common factor here? Like all of this human suffering throughout history, all of this corruption, all of this injustice. And of course there are other actors, but government seemed to be a pretty consistent line and pattern. And once Ron Paul got screwed in the 2012 election primaries with the Republicans, that, that was it. I was done. I gave up. I quit. I realized that nobody who could ever really make a difference is ever going to get power. And as I've evolved past my statism, I've realized even the best intention person who really wants to make a difference probably isn't going to be able to outside of spreading the message, which is what I think Ron Paul does so effectively and what I now try to do for myself and hopefully for other people. And the Obama t-shirt is, is gone up in flames. Yeah, forever. <laughs> and Ford, uh, you know, you've been on with me before as well as with Brian on our Wednesday show. So for anyone out there somehow not aware of news to share at this point, can you give them a quick little recap, get them up to speed on what exactly it is you guys do there at news to share? Right. So basically, News to Share is an organization uh, led by myself, but that includes a few other people um, that is about using live stream and raw footage to uh, present to you whatever it is, mostly political activism, uh, but it varies all sorts of political activism. It's not uh, just left or right or libertarian or anarchist stuff. Uh, the idea is kind of to just film every sort of political activism in a very raw a way that is void of most commentary. It's sort of the idea of starting at kind of the the truth uh, first. And so my view is that that kind of uh, repudiates the mainstream media's style of showing you only a small uh, set of bits and pieces of something and then, you know, giving you two talking heads to talk about it, you know, because, you know, if we have a real democracy, if we want a real neutral media, then everyone knows you have to have two options instead of one, right? So instead of just someone telling you uh, what to think, you have two people telling you what to think. And and therefore CNN is- uh, That's how you get the full spectrum of free, Right, so I disagree. I think that it's not about news people telling you what you should think, no matter how many news people you stick on. Sometimes CNN's like, look, we have our, our action panel of 10 people. And I'm like, that's still not enough choices. We should uh, just have raw news that just sort of shows you what happened and other people can kind of run analysis of it. But for me, that's kind of the way that I uh, think about it is starting at the truth first, which I think ultimately serves uh, the cause of freedom. No one ever ends up with more freedom because they've been lied to. I do want to dig into that just a little bit more, the kind of the idea of just presenting the raw news without opinion. And this is something I talked with uh, Matt Welch a little bit a few months ago. Uh, just the idea that, you know, Pretending for the news to pretend to be unbiased is just absurd. Everyone has their bias. Uh, like, I mean, you're you're a libertarian. You come from that angle of things, but the news you present is not really filtered in any sort of way. What are your thoughts on how? I guess I mean, you don't really do as much commentary. You do on kind of the, your personal pages, but your your news itself is not really commentary. But what are your thoughts on how? I guess journalists slash opinions should be approaching news from the sense of their own bias. Do you think people should just be sort of revealing your bias? I mean, you're very public with your your thoughts, but I don't, it doesn't seem to really affect the way you present news. Right. So my feeling is that, first of all, I don't like people claiming that they're just outright non-political, right? Everybody has opinions, especially if you exist in this space, right? I couldn't possibly spend five years filming activists and then like, and then just personally not think anything of it, right? It would be totally like ridiculous for me to just be like, I have no ideas whatsoever. I'm just an empty shell who runs around with a camera and doesn't think, right? Like that's just ridiculous, right? So the problem I have is when news people sort of pretend that they don't have any kind of leaning and present themselves that way. My, my opinion is actually that it's better for news people to be candid about what they think about things. So that can be compared with their reporting. So 
like someone like Sean Hannity is actually rather obvious about the fact that he has a certain political point of view, right? Fox News has their opinion people and then they have their like sort of objective news people. In a way, it's almost more dangerous when it's the objective news people, like if they aren't. Uh, the same thing is true of kind of like MSNBC, right? Rachel Maddow doesn't really pretend to be a hard news journalist. We all know that she's an opinion journalist and she sort of presents herself that way. The, the problem again is when you have, you know, for example, perhaps Anderson Cooper would claim to be an objective journalist. Um, but I think that it tends to be that CNN leans somewhere to kind of the center left. So I invite people, you know, you know that I'm a libertarian. You can see that I'm registered libertarian party, right? Uh, take my ideas that you know I have and compare them to the stuff I'm saying. If somebody feels that my, that the way that I word my news reporting on news to share is slanted by libertarian ideology, they could tell me, but I've, I've really never been accused of that. I, my, my commentary is so limited to the just very simple facts of like, these guys are saying this, those guys are saying that, and it doesn't really matter what I think. It is funny though. I have seen you online in various forums accused of being both like a, a far progressive and alt-right. So right, yes. you never know what people are going to think of, of what it is you're doing. Yes, people joke that, you know, I'm like some, like he's, he's an anarcho-authoritarian lefty-righty. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just uh, make some shit up. That'll work. So, the, but that's what happens. You kind of cover both sides and when you, and when you cover the right and the right looks good, they think that the cameraman must be right when you cover the right and the right looks bad, then, oh, he's doing it for the left and so forth. You know, people come up with these different ways of interpreting it. But at the end of the day, I, I really don't consider what I cover to be influenced by politics because frankly, libertarians don't do a whole lot of street activism. I actually haven't kind of like disproportionately, I have not covered libertarians because there actually just isn't that much libertarian street stuff. Well, Carrie, you yourself are pretty darn outspoken uh, with your views. I think I think it's pretty safe to say. Uh, tell us about what happened here. You got deplatformed off Twitter personally, and then I believe uh, some of the anti-media's pages were also deplatformed. This was late last year. What exactly happened here? This was on the heels of Alex Jones kind of being deplatformed almost universally, to which some people were seemed concerned. Uh, others said, "Well, ah, he's Alex Jones. Who cares?" But Alex Jones was really just the, the you know the frog in the in the warm water. Now they're they're heating it up for the rest of us. Right. And, you know, this actually started before the bans became commonplace. This started with algorithms years ago after the 2016 election. That's when we first started noticing it at anti-media. Our reach was just so down. But of course, you can't prove why that is. You you don't have any hard information because they're not going to give it to us. So it culminated. Uh, let's see. Alex Jones was banned in August by October 11th. Remember, it was around 11 a.m. And I got a message from our founder, Nick Burnaby, that our page had been unpublished on Facebook. And uh, they had a bunch of vague explanations of why, but nothing specific. Um, and a bunch of other pages were also removed. The Free Thought Project, Hemp, Police the Police. It was a big purge. There were also progressive pages that were taken down. There were Make America Great Again pages that were taken down. So it covered a pretty broad spectrum of pages that were removed. And I, being optimistic and a little naive, figured it's a Facebook glitch. We'll get the page back. Um, <laughs> but still hasn't happened. Uh, we actually had a Facebook representative who had been assigned to help us grow our page, I believe in July. In September, they gave us free advertising and in October, they banned us and then she stopped replying to our emails. So <laughs> that was that. Seems but... odd you could be on the free advertising <laughs> list one month and on the deplatformed list, list the next month. Right, exactly. And um, so that was in the morning. And then by afternoon, I received an email from Twitter saying my personal account had been banned. And after speaking with Nick, we learned that the anti-media Twitter page had been taken down and so had our creative executive. He does all of our imagery, awesome artist. Uh, we were all taken down, so it was our Twitter handler. And my appeal was rejected. Uh, our creative executive's appeals were rejected. He had multiple accounts. And the only person who got her account back was our Twitter handler after the LA Times did a story on her. So to this day, still banned, still gone. And we're just trying to figure out the best way forward. So at no point were either you or the anti-media given an, an actual explanation at all for, for why you were removed? No, nothing specific. I would have to pull up. I can send you an image of the screenshot. Of yeah, the I remember seeing one that said, like, you are banned because, and then there was just a blank space. Right, just that nothing. was my Twitter one. It said specifically <laughs> for a blank. And then uh, when Fill they- the blank, whatever you want it to be. Right. And you know, it's- I was always so, I believed everything I was told from, I was an authoritarian, you know, not like a vicious one, but That's I loved, you got that Obama crush. Exactly. I loved following the rules. I loved being good in school, you know? So I, I tend to just like believe things or not, not, not anymore, but I used to. But when I got the notice that my appeal had been denied from Twitter, 
I've never been so sure in my life that I was being lied to. Whether it was a bot that made the decision or an actual person, they said like, you're not allowed to artificially manipulate information or feeds or disrupt user experiences on Twitter, which um, all I ever did was post a video or an article like once every two weeks. I was not an active Twitter user even. I, there's no possible way I did what they were saying I did. And of course they tell you, don't reply to this email. We're not monitoring your account anymore. So I'm just permanently gone forever. You mentioned something there that's that's important to point out, I think, and that it's not it's not like they're just targeting libertarian pages. Like you said, there's MAGA pages taken down, progressive pages. How, how do you think pages are getting wrapped up into this? Do you think it's sort of just pages that are on the fringe or pages, or do you think it really is just some algorithmic glitch of sorts that they just don't care to fix? I mean, what, what are your sort of instincts about this? I mean, it's honestly really hard to say. Obviously, there are a lot of people who like to point to Facebook and Twitter's working relationship with the Atlantic Council and similar democratic think tanks because there was this huge push after the 2016 election to make sure that democracy is safe, right? And so they partnered with these very establishment groups in order to flag bad actors on their platforms. But I can't prove that. And I think it would be irresponsible for me to sit around claiming that I know the why we were banned. You know, for all I know, maybe someone who was an admin on one of our pages was actually engaging in the behavior they said we weren't supposed to be engaging in. I know that we weren't, but there are a lot of partner pages. There are a lot of shared activities. So I, I really can't say. And I... Uh, I would love to think that I'm a martyr because I'm just such a threat to the establishment, you know, and anti-media was reaching so many people. So we had to be banned and maybe, and maybe someday we'll find out that that really was the case. But for now, um, as a broader observation, all I can say is that this is definitely in response to the 2016 election and these social media companies attempts to restore faith, whether among the people or the government that's trying to regulate them. I think it was Thanos. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> Thanos got all the stones. Like, they kind of just, did, like, Carrie dissolved. There was, she had 50-50 odds. In fact, actually, she lost her Twitter, but she kept her personal Facebook. Kind of like, the 50-50 odds, the math works out. I have survived. <laughs> I removed you from half of all platforms. Right, yes, exactly. Half of the, I, at least we know that Mines is safe. Mines is, like, a safe haven from, like, the universality of the uh, of the Power Stones. <laughs> so, Ford, you, you have not been deployed platformed or removed or anything like that. Uh, I don't know if it's better or worse, but uh, your, your content is still there. But you were recently uh, summarily, your channel was completely demonetized from YouTube. Summarily, so what a good word. Uh, yeah, I, th I thought so too. I've been planning this for a while, this this introduction for this topic. Um, uh, can I go into some detail there about exactly like how you first found out about this, uh, what your knowledge is of, of why it occurred, what sort of explanations you've gotten and that sort of thing? Yeah, so it was, it was weird because I've seen a few waves of sort of censorship happened in the past. And I would note that on the day that uh, the purge happened in which Carrie lost, um, you know, the anti-media's Facebook page and her Twitter page, on that day, basically simultaneous with the release of that information, I had a really weird experience on Facebook, which is that Facebook gave me a notification and I, I screenshotted it because the notification disappeared and, and I've never seen anything like this. And when I Googled it, no similar words existed. So I think it actually was uniquely typed to me by a human. I got a notification during the purge that said, Facebook accidentally deleted seven of your live streams. We've restored them, but some of the reactions and comments may not reappear. And, that, and they said, basically, it was, an, it was a mistake and we're sorry. So they never explained why that mistake occurred, but it seems that I was on like the chopping block, so to speak. Like because of the fact that it happened the same day, I can only imagine that it was related. And for, for the record, the live streams were actually just live streams of uh, speeches given at the Libertarian National Convention. And so I don't, uh, I don't really know what was happening. I think perhaps in their in their back end, they were like choosing videos to justify a deplatforming or something like that. And then they decided, wait, they're actually fine. I, d I don't really know why it happened, but one way or another, they my account seems to have been kind of in their um, crosshairs. So that, so that message on Facebook, that was on Facebook and that happened the same. That was Facebook. The same time. And that happened simultaneous with the purge. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, in fact, I'd actually, I'd be interested to see if the email, like, because I could probably find a screenshot of when that notification happened. I'd be interested to see whether that happened simultaneously, like precisely simultaneously to the minute with the rest of the purge. And so in the reason that I mentioned kind of like very specific synchronizations is that so on, I guess it was almost two weeks ago now. It was Wednesday of two weeks ago uh, as we're recording this. Um, today's Tuesday. Um, 
two weeks ago on Wednesday was the so-called Vox Adpocalypse. And I'll explain why it's called that. But uh, basically, a there was a press release that went out from YouTube, clearly embargoed, right? You can't release this information in a story until 1 p.m. Uh, because I, and the reason I know that is because basically all of the mainstream media reported at precisely the same time at about 1 p.m. in the afternoon that, uh, you know, this headline that said something to the effect of YouTube to delete thousands of uh, channels as it imposes new community standards or something like that. And they all released the story at the same time. I actually saw the story and I kind of quickly skimmed through it uh, and I uh, copied the link and I actually, and I posted it onto my uh, Facebook and Twitter. And I think I just wrote something like YouTube is about to, um, you know, uh, commit to a new purge or, or you know, do a new purge uh, based on new community standards. What do you think? Which is a common, it's a common thing that I write, you know, is like, I'll, I'll present some subject and then say, what do you think to provoke conversation without, in, without injecting my, you know, idea into it to, to push people to think about it. Anyway, so I wrote that and then it, it was like, Basically, the next time I check my email like every five minutes, right? Because I'm a crazy person in the 21st century. And uh, so I checked my email like minutes later and I got three emails from YouTube uh, basically right after having posted that article and right after that article had come out. The three emails I got, the first two were simultaneous with each other and the, sec and the third came six minutes later. Those first two emails each detailed a video that uh, YouTube removed outright. So two of my videos were completely deleted. Those two videos were, uh, one was in front of APAC, the American Israel Political Conference, where I was filming a pro-Palestine protest and there were pro-Israeli people who came out to sort of argue with them. And then a Holocaust denier guy showed up and he was saying all kinds of ridiculous things related to Israel and the Holocaust, which he purported to be a fiction. And both sides, uh, the pro-Israel and the pro-Palestine sides, were both like, wait, what? And <laughs> they, right, like, and so the two of them both started braiding this guy, like, you know, you're not welcome here on either of our sides, you're ridiculous, whatever. And I filmed this so that's argument. How you, that's how we bring the Jews and the, the Palestinians together. We just <laughs> yes. deny the right, Holocaust all day long and they'll, they'll rally. Right, and both of them will be like, whoa, <laughs> right, so... So th that guy showed up and neither side was particularly happy with him, but they had an argument with him that lasted about 12 minutes. And I thought it was very interesting, especially because I Googled his name afterwards. And it turns out this is actually a relatively uh, prominent person in the world of like the greatest fake news ever written, which is, you know, guys denying uh, actual history. Right. So um, this guy uh, is obviously wrong. And me posting a video of him is obviously not endorsing his speech. Um, and whether I agree with the pro-Palestine people or the pro-Israel people is no substance, but I thought that it was an interesting interaction that was had uh, with the three of them. And so I posted that video in a raw and complete way. And the headline was something like, uh, I forget what the guy's name is, but we'll say John Smith, right? Uh, Holocaust denier John Smith confronted by activists at APAC. I hope his name's not John Smith because someone's going to Google him and now. <laughs> I just libeled all the John Smiths. A lot of John Smiths out there. Every John Smith's going to be like, how dare you? What have you done? You're fake news now. Right. Uh, so, um, so YouTube took that down because it said that it's glorify. It's something like it's glorifying or advocating violence. Um, and clearly the reason why they applied that claim, and it, it was a form letter. It didn't like describe it in detail. Uh, clearly that was because um, denial of well-documented historical tragedies has now become one of YouTube's community standards. And what YouTube doesn't understand or pretends not to understand is the difference between content that in itself is denying history and content that includes a history denier, right? There have been films and documentaries talking about neo-Nazis, Holocaust deniers, whatever, right? And, you know, YouTube is selling those. You can rent those films on YouTube. Uh, so they know the difference in general, but when it comes to independent content creators, they're clearly not doing their due diligence. Uh, the other one was I, do, I film a lot of speeches, including those by people who I think most would find unsavory to watch. And one of those speeches was two months before Charlottesville. There was a rally that, in my opinion, more or less let, paved the way for Charlottesville. It had all of the same speakers that Charlottesville would have, including Christopher Cantwell, might be familiar to this audience. 
um, and many others. And one of those speeches was um, uh, by a guy named who goes by the name Mike Enoch. And he's a, uh, at least he was sort of a relatively prominent, like kind of white nationalist guy. And he was spewing the basic uh, talking points you hear from like Charlottesville attendees, uh, which were more or less that, you know, that, that somehow white people are under attack as a population and that there's some kind of replacement and whatever. And he was out crying that the word diversity means uh, you're next. This, and I'm doing air quotes as I'm saying that. So, so a speech that most people would find pretty disagreeable, uh, pretty unsavory, perhaps hard to listen to if they are sensitive to it. Uh, okay. But so, th- but this same footage has been used <laughs> on PBS. Literally, I've sold this exact shot to PBS. And at the end of it, he introduced Richard Spencer. And my footage of Richard Spencer in that event uh, has been in literally an Emmy-winning film. And at the end of Richard Spencer's speech that this guy introduced, Spencer says, everybody, August 12th, come out to Charlottesville. It's going to be a lot of fun. So in my opinion, this work is important to do. And it's not an endorsement of the stuff that's in it. And YouTube claims not to know the difference. And indeed, they seem to be really uh, failing at that, given that they actually even deleted a video by the Southern Poverty Law Center and another video by a YouTube channel called Right Wing Watch. So they are (laughs) not even trying to make any kind of distinction between hateful content and content that covers hate. Yeah, and I guess there's no way to fully know, uh, you know, unless you get some insider leak about, you know, the secret board meetings or whoever decides these things. But it could be anywhere from an extreme overreaction to a concern, maybe because now that they're monetizing their own platforms, now they want to avoid controversial content, uh, which to me kind of goes against the whole point of YouTube. But uh, or if it's, you know. I guess um, some more sinister sort of crackdown for more political purposes. Uh, what does your gut say for it? Well, okay, so they demonetize my entire channel after this. Look, so I think that people can have an interesting conversation about whether platforming is a right in the context of, of tech that is so big that it's almost like a governmental body or when it's connected to the government, right? Uh, And whether it's a right or not, just generally as a business, people like this sort of democratic nature of YouTube, that it it gives it sort of everybody the ability to speak out. And I think they're having problems with that censorship idea. With that being said, monetization on individual videos, I understand why they demonetize. I wish that they, on individual videos, I wish that they wouldn't uh, have it be algorithmatic. I don't like that certain keywords cause videos not to be monetized. Like, uh, the Saturday before this thing happened, I filmed a march for impeachment of Trump, and there were counter protesters. And because um, the counter protest kind of caused a physical fight, but it was a little separate from the event, I actually ended up publishing two videos. One was sort of march for impeachment takes to the streets of DC, and the other was MAGA activists counter demonstrate march for impeachment. And like the the MAGA one was automatically demonetized, and the and the impeachment one wasn't. I you know I don't know what exact math happened in the algorithm to make that happen. I don't necessarily know that it's political leaning. I think that because it's because it's math, right? It I I can't necessarily attribute it to one thing or another. But I, I generally tend to find that to be misguided. What's really misguided though, what I think is is really sort of an injustice, is that they demonetized the entire channel. If they wanted to look at those two videos and say, okay, Ford filmed some guys confronting a Holocaust denier and Ford filmed a white nationalist that was uh, so provocative that, that that was part of a situation that led to Charlottesville, we don't want to stick an ad for, you know, you don't want to watch a DiGiorno's pizza ad where they're like, <laughs> would you like to watch, would you like to eat some DiGiorno's pizza? It's delicious and it has pepperoni on it. And, and it's now just- back to Richard Spencer. <laughs> and, now, right, and now back to, you know, a neo-Nazi, right? I get why YouTube doesn't want that. But a lot of my content is so ridiculously mainstream. On the other hand, right, many of my protest of the protests that I film are extremely simple, are extremely nonviolent and relatively non-controversial. I have filmed, for example, Nancy Pelosi give a speech about uh, why Brett Kavanaugh should not be in the Supreme Court, right? In my mind, that kind of content is pretty inarguably That's worth monetizing. C-SPAN would air the same exact thing. And indeed, C-SPAN has aired many of the things that are now both demonetized and um, 
uh, and deep and deplatformed in a sense. Christopher Cantwell, I mentioned earlier at that same event that I believe kind of led to Charlottesville happening. Uh, I interviewed him and also I filmed his speech. You have to you have to log in and prove that you're 18 plus to watch either of those things. So that that's another one of YouTube's little tricks, right? Is they make a video be 18 plus, and that's happened to literally just me talking to somebody who uh, there are a lot of reasons for a lot. For most people, wouldn't like Christopher Cantwell for a lot of reasons. I'll put it that way. Uh, but with that being said, I think most 17 year olds can kind of handle it. Right. Yeah, and obviously, with they make an age restriction to log in, that's just X amount of people are just not going to see the video for that reason. They might not take that extra step or they might not feel like logging in or what have you, or they won't find it in the first place. It doesn't suggest videos that, that uh, it, the, it, it probably restricted the view. I'd have to look at the math, but it, it seemed, I, I would guess that like it cuts the number of people who actually see it in practice to like 10 to 20%. Even the last time uh, when you were on with Brian last year talking about Charlottesville, uh, you know, we post all our stuff to uh, YouTube, even the audio only type stuff. And that that video, that audio only video was also demonetized. That was just you talking about you shooting at Charlottesville. So even that, you know, it's hard hard to say how, how this all works. Hey, friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. What I really want to get into now is both of your views on what should be the proper libertarian response to this sort of thing? Because there's a couple sort of extreme angles you can take. You could take the pure private property route and say, hey, it's private property. It's their rights to deplatform, demonetize, do whatever they want with their platforms. Um, and that's it. That's the, that's the end of the conversation. Another extreme might say these organizations have become so large and are so indistinguishable from the government in so many ways that perhaps they should be regulated. Now, I think most libertarians aren't going to fall to either one of those complete extremes necessarily, but what do you guys take, Carrie? Uh, as a uh, declared anarchist in this scenario, how do you view the situation where, yes, we want to support property rights all we can, but there's clearly something maybe more sinister going on here. There's, there's clearly, this is clearly not YouTube and Twitter are not uh, the mom and shop pizza's place down the street. Right. And, you know, I hesitate to draw any hard opinion because there are so many things that are changing. We're in a very transitional time. Like we're in uncharted territory. The internet itself was uncharted territory. And now we're getting into, I remember I took a class in college just intro to communications and this little old lady. And I, it, was, it was like a long time ago. And she was like, the internet is the wild, wild west. Now it will be regulated. And that was, I, I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I was so oblivious and ignorant. That was like my Obama time, but that really stuck with me. And so we see it happening. They've been clamping down on the internet for a while. And there are people who think that, well, these companies work with the government as it is. I've seen people say like Google is a CIA creation. And I know that obviously the CIA did have somewhat of a role in its creation. Um, I don't think we can go that extreme though, because we can't prove that. Um, we can't even prove how much information these companies are giving to the government. We barely get any information on what the government requests. So I don't know that it's fair to say that they're basically the government. You know, that's a really common talking point I hear from libertarians who are upset about all the purges. Um, But at the same time, I really, I'm not going to advocate for the government to intervene, not only because it's on principle, but also because if they did, I don't really think that they'd make much of a point of protecting my speech. You know, like I'm a little hesitant to get the government involved trying to protect if my speech. If the regulators speech. come in, it's not to protect the anti-media and Carrie Wedler and Ford Fisher necessarily. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I'd be really impressed if they did, but I just can't really imagine the government looking out for someone saying they shouldn't exist and their authority is fictional. Um, so yeah, I don't have an answer. I think it needs to be a free market solution. There need to be 
more platforms, but it's the problem I've encountered and I don't have a solution for it. Sorry to not be optimistic, but it's hard to get well, people. What are you to, doing here? You're supposed to solve uh, everything. I'm optimistic about freedom in general. I just haven't figured out this specific problem, but it, it's hard to get people to go away from the platforms they're used to. Like people hate Facebook, but they're on it all the time. There's my, exactly same me. And it's like, I don't want to be posting on Facebook, but that's where my biggest following is. That's where I reach the people I'm trying to reach. So it's, it's, it's a difficult dilemma because we want to be creating this new paradigm, but we are going to have trouble creating the new paradigm if we're not reaching more people to get into these new platforms. So mine's is awesome. There's steam it. Um, I'm hoping just that as time goes on, there will be other options because we all remember MySpace. Facebook is not going to be in power at the top of the pile forever. And I think there is going to be backlash against what they're doing. There's a significant enough portion of the population that's not cool with it. Even if they're just right-wing statists who are mad because they think only conservatives are being censored, there still is market uh, unpopularity among a lot of the people consuming these products. It would be awesome if these companies responded, but I don't really expect them to. I'm still figuring it out. Honestly, it's been six months or more since we were banned. And after like several months of grieving and crying about it, I'm just barely getting back to the point where I feel like inspired to make content. So I don't have the solution, but maybe Ford does. Well, uh, Carrie, I just want to ask you one more thing about um, like how how are you guys at the anti media dealing with the loss of, of obviously the huge reach you guys had on those platforms? How are you being? How are you kind of finding your ability to get your content still out there uh, and get it to people? I mean, I, I assume you've been building email lists and that sort of thing, uh, like the more traditional methods from ten years ago. But uh, kind of what are your strategies in sort of getting around this and still making sure that your message and all your great content gets out there? Right. Well, we were, we had an email list before any of this happened. We were trying to prepare for it. Um, but without our followers of, you know, in the 2 million range, we don't really have anyone to reach. We have some partner pages that still share content, but we actually don't have original content anymore. So I'm still editor in chief of the anti-media, but kind of in name only. And it makes me really sad and I don't like to say it, but um, nobody else is editor in chief. It's still me, but my job was creating and editing original content, which we no longer have because we don't have the revenues to pay people. So um, I do freelance editing now um, for the Foundation for Economic Education, which is awesome and I love it. Um, but as far as anti-media, at this point, we're just trying to aggregate independent news across the entire community. So we still have content. It's just rather than me writing it or editing one of our journalists uh, reporting, it's it's really just gathering it from other outlets, which thank God they're still around, but it's absolutely changed the way anti-media operates. And I, I don't want to say it, but it's true. I'd be really surprised if we ever got back to what we were doing before. I mean, they've effectively crushed your business model by, you know, by taking these steps. So you can say no one's shutting anti-media down and that's true in a sense. But when you spent years building yourselves up on these platforms and then suddenly it's ripped away, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's not as easy as it is to say to just, you know, get, go somewhere else, post it somewhere else. It doesn't work that way. You can go post on Minds. You can go post on Gab. <laughs> Who's there? You know, nobody's right. there. To- and I do have to say just one last thing about, you know, whether government intervention is justified or whether it's a private company. Um, aside from that, I think that that's a problem that has really plagued independent media as far as like, from a capitalistic perspective. These companies, as in us, we didn't plan for what was happening. We tried our best, but we didn't have a good solution to this. And that's on us for being so dependent on these platforms. And I know there isn't necessarily another way, but I, we can blame the companies all we want, but we're the ones who built our business models around them. So I just, I want to take accountability for that. Ford, what about you? What's your approach to, uh, obviously you're still sort of reeling from, from this stuff. And, um, you know, how, how, first of all, I'm curious, have you been able to sort of file any kind of appeal with YouTube about the demonetization issue? Is there any kind of headway there? I did a I did a pretty uh, angsty Twitter thread last night where I actually detailed uh, with screenshots every news organization who reached out to YouTube for comments about me. And you shoot me that thread. This, I'll link to the whole thing in, in the show. I'll do that. It's all of the screenshots of them either declining to comment or or just ignoring the press. And and they're pretty high. Pre- I mean, it was NBC, ABC, uh, Rolling Stone. Uh, Verge and uh, Forbes, I think, off the top of my head, and Ars Technica, which is like a like a pretty well known like technical magazine. Um, so, 
any, with that being said, so no, YouTube hasn't reached out back to me. The only news outlet that they replied to, I, I want to say it was ABC, but it might've been Ars Technica. One, one of those news organizations, they said they didn't comment, but they said like, we're looking very closely at the Fisher case. So like they actually claimed to some news organization to be like looking at it, but uh, it's been two weeks and nothing's happened. So I don't know. Case. I'm, I'm picturing a couple like gumshoe detectives <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like sorting through your files. Right. Like, yes. They have to, they put, putting on his monocle and <laughs> I got this Fisher guy, you see? <laughs> I see enough of this little raw footage now, you see? You'll be joining one of those corporations just like Carrie. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what are your uh, thoughts for uh, on one of the more, uh, I'm sorry, did I, did I interrupt you? I well, I have I have a big answer for the okay. thing that you were going to say then, before. Then just so, take it, take it away. So quick, yeah. So quickly put, the email that they sent me has absolutely no appeal. So it the the email claims that they looked over it carefully. It has no appeal whatsoever. So it basically YouTube is making the statement: we did not mess up. You you messed up. It's your fault, and and we cannot be wrong. What it does allow is it says you may reapply in 30 days and basically in the meantime, change your channel so that it becomes content that is eligible. So it's interesting because it actually speaks to a wider issue I see with these things, which is that they're essentially inviting and advocating self-censorship, right? Twitter kind of plays a psychological mind game like this also, where they don't actually delete your offending tweet. They make you your account is suspended and invisible until you delete it yourself and then you may have it back 24 hours later right it's a, it's very interesting to me it's a very interesting psychological thing so in youtube's case they took down two of my videos specifically and they demonetized everything but they demon the demonetization happened six minutes after those two videos were taken down so their position as as described seems to be that the channel even with those two gone is still ineligible and I need to figure out what might be bothersome to them and take down those other things. And so I'm kind of unwilling to do that. In my view, every single thing that I've ever filmed has been for news purposes because I put it on the channel called News to Share and I filmed it with the belief that it would get viewership because it has news value. So I think that they are wrong if they think that there's even a single video that should be removed. And so I'm unwilling to self-censor in order to sort of satisfy this, like, you know, invisible, you know, there's some person behind a desk who's going to make the decision. It is, it is such a weird thing that they, they like make you, instead of doing it and just taking down what they don't want, that they're going to go and make you do it. It is kind of a weird psychological play there that like, like you said, like, right. And I, it's a little Orwellian. Yeah. I've, um, so I have, you're going to admit you were bad. You're going (laughs) to fix what you did wrong. And then maybe we'll let you come play again. Right. Um, so on that note, um, the, the thing that I have pointed out is that I would be happy to talk to YouTube if they would actually send a person to talk to me. If they, if they would tell me, for example, that when I film news content that includes people who are uh, sort of offensive to their sensibilities or deal with certain types of subjects, that perhaps it needs a disclaimer. That if I wrote in the description something like, you know, caution, this video may be offensive to some viewers and it is only being recorded for news and political purposes and it is not meant as an endorsement of the people herein or something. I'd be okay with that. If they told me, oh, you need to put that on your videos that include anybody talking about anything, right? Then, you know, that that disclaimer would fix it. Okay, at least communicate with me about it. Uh, They haven't communicated. They haven't done any kind of research that includes me in any way whatsoever. As to the solution, so let me detail, I don't think that this is necessarily a libertarian conundrum, what I'm about to describe, but this is just the legal conundrum as signed. Um, So in 1996, Bill Clinton wants to accelerate the uh, basic growth of the internet, right? So we talk about like the tech boom, the tech bubble of the 90s and, and all that stuff. And when he signed the 1996 uh, Telecommunications Act, uh, Section 230 of it, says that basically if a company is uh, sort of functioning as a platform, this is a new idea, the idea of a company as a platform, 
that if a company is a platform, then the company is not liable for whatever happens on the platform. So for example, if I posted a video libeling Carrie, right? I said, I posted a video where it's me and I'm saying something like, uh, well, I'll have, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what it would be. Uh, this girl well, burns t-shirts. She's a damn I'll, I'll, I'll have you know that Carrie didn't just burn a t-shirt. She burned down uh, the Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> Years later, she would use right. it. She's a, she's a, yeah, I make a video where I say, I know it. I have it on good authority that <laughs> Carrie is an arsonist. She has a pattern of burning things down and she definitely burned down the Notre Dame. <laughs> Carrie could sue me, right? In real, like in real life, if I said that, Carrie could sue me for uh, slandering her because I made what is, you know, what is called sort of an actual fact. Carrie burned it down. Not, I think Carrie might have burned it down or it's my opinion, maybe Carrie burned it down and it wasn't a joke. I if can't I wait to edit this audio and publish it as Ford Fisher's theory of the night. Right, yes, this is going to be <laughs> Mark's going to edit me. No. Uh, okay, but notice so, I'm not denying it, but go on. <laughs> right. Worth, worth, important facts, right? She couldn't, <laughs> Carrie couldn't even say she didn't do it. You know, it might uh, help the brand if, you, if people think maybe she did. So, Carrie, if I did that and I posted that video to YouTube, Carrie could sue me for libel. And Bill Clinton said, and I think that most libertarians and really most people would agree that YouTube should not be suable because of the fact that I uploaded that video to YouTube. YouTube is hosting content that is libelous, but they really would not not be a fair co-defendant. They didn't endorse the video going up. It's not like I sort of sent the video to YouTube and YouTube said, yes, this content is very good, so we will publish it, right? It's not their fault, right? So that, that is why. On the other hand, the difference between a, the, the other thing, if you're not a uh, platform, then you're a publisher. A publisher is something like uh, a news organization, right? So if Carrie wrote an article saying, Actually, you know who burned down the Notre Dame? Ford did. And she published that story on the anti-media. Then I actually could sue Carrie, and I could also sue the anti-media. I could say, you are a news publication, and your news publication published libelous comments about me. And so this difference between the anti-media and YouTube, the publisher and the platform is something that's kind of coming into question now because how do we define those things? News organizations are not uh, platforms. Nobody is entitled to have me film them. Nobody has a right to, to sort of enslave me and make me film them or to enslave Carrie and make her, you know, cut right about them or to enslave Mark and make them put, you have to put me on Lions of Liberty, Mark. Right? Like nobody can force that because you're, you're a publisher and not a platform. So that difference, that distinction is something that YouTube might be drawing into question. If they are saying we're going to take down content that isn't illegal, right? So, so yes, take down your copyrighted stuff, take down content that infringes on someone's rights in some way as defined by law. But if YouTube is taking down content because it doesn't like it, there's this question of should it be classified as a publisher rather than a platform? Or on the other hand, if they want to retain their designation and protections as a platform, should they not be able to make essentially editorial uh, decisions? Now, of course, the absolute private property argument would be that it's irrelevant and private property people should be able to do whatever they want. And even if they're a platform, they should be able to kick whoever they want off their platform. But, but um, as it's written, they start to incur liability that they basically cannot possibly uh, handle. That YouTube is never going to want to exist in a world where they're liable for every single, every single thing that someone does on one of their things. Not to mention sending emails, right? If I send uh, an email that says, Carrie, I know you burned down the Notre Dame and that's why I'm going to kill you, right? <laughs> if I sent an email uh, via Gmail, it was from me on my Gmail to her Gmail and I sent that, uh, do we, I don't think we want to live in a world where, where Google is considered to be transmitting a threat and, and we arrest the CEO of Google. For it's different between, are you the messenger? Are you part of the messenger or are you just the medium? Right. So, um, so in that sense, that seems to be a fight that a lot of conservatives have picked up on. Um, I haven't heard that talking point too much from the left and I haven't heard it too much from libertarians who might sort of reject the idea of, 
of sort of classifying anything as anything other than private property. So it sort of depend, it depends on the political kind of orthodoxy of whoever you're talking to. Well, Carrie, um, before I move on, did you or did you not burn down the Notre Dame Cathedral? I'd, I'd like you to make an official statement right now, if that's okay. I'm not going to incriminate myself. Okay, that's the right answer. She can neither confirm nor deny. We know what that means. <laughs> Listeners, you can decide. But you know, I guess I just want to try to figure also, out. Also, it was her, not Iran, that. Uh, <laughs> that oh, the Japanese tanker too. Well, you know they do say that I'm part of the Jew World Order, so. <laughs> well, that's confirmed. That's Take it as you, you want. Just, I, I love he said for anybody who's listening, that's a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. I'm, it's a joke. I'm joking. Carrie and I have spent a lot of time complaining about how people make conspiracy theories about us. So I'm not actually <laughs> a conspiracy theory. Thank well, you. It's for okay me. to make the jokes. We're, we're all of the tribe, I believe. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, which actually doesn't help the conspiracy theory that, <laughs> that we are part of some secret world order conspiring on this podcast right now. <laughs> right. Lions of Liberty actually is the, uh, is the secret society. You're a branch of the Soros uh, infiltration. And that's fund. why we're not deplatformed from anywhere. Exactly. Yes. And my deplatforming was really just to make it look like I wasn't part of the Jew World Order when in fact I am, but we've taken this far enough. Okay. I'm not. Okay. Not. <laughs> it's like, and that's we'll do a whole, a whole extra bonus show for, for <laughs> about the Jew World Order. <laughs> I would count me out. <laughs> All right. So obviously both of you guys are uh, discouraged in many ways, but I know you're both going to plow forward in your own ways. Uh, what are your plans going forward in terms of, I mean, Ford, is this affecting like your, your actual like ability to, uh, obviously it's, it's hurting your income. So is this affecting your ability to actually cover certain events or anything yet? Or are you just hoping that this is something that will sort of sort itself out and blow over soon? So I haven't had too many stories in the last two weeks. So as of yet, I can't like point to a specific thing that I can say like, oh, I couldn't afford to go to this. I mean, the thing that it's caused is that I no longer have a literal financial incentive to even be posting on YouTube. So now when I'm posting to YouTube, I kind of have to be thinking of it almost as like a public service of sorts. The I have been getting more support on Patreon, which I appreciate, where kind of the public has become... I think rather empathetic to what happened to me. And so I've gotten a lot of new Patreon signups. It used to be that a lot, the plurality of people who were on my Patreon were actually people who I know personally. And uh, now I have a lot of strangers who read about what happened to me and joined. And so the question is kind of, are is that momentum going to keep building? And are those people going to stay or... Uh, you know, or not. I think that if, if the momentum keeps building, if people keep joining my Patreon, then at some point it's going to break even, right? I mean, at some level of donation, it, it has to be the same as the demonetization. Part of what bothers me though also is that although YouTube denies this, uh, you can pretty mathematically see like people have done regression analysis and stuff to show that uh, their algorithm makes it harder for videos to show up if the channel or if the video itself is demonetized. It's just, and it makes sense. Google is going to want to show you videos that Google is willing to accept the, the profit from, basically. So uh, I do think that it will affect my reach, uh, which I don't like. And I think that generally it's a step towards um, kind of the loss of everything because people watch the content on YouTube. I think that's basically where people like to see my stuff. They like to see kind of little clips on Twitter and uh, kind of live streams on Facebook. But YouTube's really where like the, the story goes, I guess you could say. And um, so if I, if I were to ever lose YouTube entirely, which I see this as sort of a step toward that, like what if they, they deleted an, a history channel's entire channel, not just demonetized, they outright deleted a channel because he had historical footage of Hitler and he's a school teacher, right? teaching history. So they better not touch ancient aliens. That's all I know. <laughs> it's so funny. Ancient aliens is spewing. I don't want to, I don't want to libel them, but <laughs> might suggest as an opinion that ancient aliens says things that aren't true. <laughs> one, could argue, one, one could argue that aliens aren't real, but I want to believe I'll, I'll just put it out there. I totally, I totally want to believe like, I have, I have, team. I have to like, but like, I, I really adjust my camera real quick. I'm on team. Yeah. Yes, believe. yes. I love it. No, I, yeah. So I totally, I want to believe, I think ancient aliens might be putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Uh, <laughs> maybe they might've been playing a little fast and loose with the facts, but, but you know what? I think that they should be on YouTube. 
Damn Skippy. And Carrie, you are, uh, you are still on YouTube, luckily. So what are your plans uh, for your own channel, your own activism going forward? I know you uh, took a little bit of a, you know, a downturn with the, the hits that anti-media has taken, but hopefully maybe this podcast will inspire you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. My channel's been getting demonetized, not on the whole, but individual videos and definitely the majority of them for a couple years now. So YouTube for me has not been an income source for quite a long time. So everything I put on there, I that's because I want to do it. You know, I'm not, I have a Patreon account and I appreciate all the support I get there, but um, I make these videos because I feel like I need to. Like I, it doesn't feel good to not, say what I have to say because I feel like too much is happening and things haven't stopped happening because I got deplatformed. Um, so I'm still on YouTube as Ford was saying, I, again, I can't confirm anything, but it does seem like getting demonetized really kills your reach because if you go to my channel and you look at the views I used to get when I had fewer subscribers and you look at the views I get now when everything is demonetized, um, I don't know. I'm not going to claim anything for certain, but it definitely has been frustrating, but I'm not going to stop. I can't stop. And I think that's kind of how most of us feel. If you talk to the content creators in this community, it's like, well, I didn't get into this for the money. I got into this because I care. So, um, I, I'm trying to do a video per week. I took a, a week off last week because I'm working on a video I'm really excited about. Um, and it's, probably the longest video I've ever done. So I'm, I'm here. I'm inspired. Um, I have way too much to say. I've taken a much more blatant anarchist philosophical approach, which feels really good because I used to just like dance around and try to like put the words in there, but try to please everybody so that I wouldn't offend. And yeah, right. I've been offending people even when I was trying not to. So I just decided to let it go and say what ever I have to say. Started, ever since you pick up that blowtorch and started burning things down. That was kind of when it happened and I never looked back and I'm not going to. So I'm still going. I'm not going anywhere unless they actually delete me and I downloaded all of my previous videos off of YouTube. Especially don't go to France. You, you never want to return to a crime scene. <laughs> yeah, I think this, that'd be a bad place to go. Not after okay. my super cut teaser of this podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's only about, uh, it's about the Notre Dame Cathedral and the Jew World Order. It'd be a 30 second teaser. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> One thing I, I don't think that's going to help my case on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> like we were just about to re-monetize you. And they, yeah, right. And they're they're going to be like, we found something we found a podcast i'll be like oh mark <laughs> uh carrie one thing i wanted to mention i ran to you a couple weeks ago at the tulsi gabbard rally which some people actually gave me and my friend brian from lions of liberty shit for even being at as if we were there waving signs we spent most of our time rolling our eyes at her socialist ideas <laughs> or there uh, you were there and you you managed to get an interview with her so we want to tell us a little bit about that what were you you actually asked her a pretty interesting interesting question that um well, you, you can tell us how she responded. Yeah, so I was told I'd be able to interview her, and then I got one question in a press room, which I was still grateful for. And the question actually came from Dan Sanchez, who is the – oh, I don't know the ex his exact title, but he's a very, very valuable two-feet. He's an editorial, and he used to write very amazing anti-war. Chief anti of good stuff, we'll call him. Yeah, chief of all the good things. There Google go. him, read his stuff, definitely read Dan Sanchez. Anyway, it was his question, and the question was, you know, given the fact that uh, – the military industrial complex and the entire American empire is kind of like the best example of big government. Does that make you at all skeptical of um, giving that much power to other parts of government? Um, it, it was worded much better, not like how I just said it, but that was the general gist of it. And um, I was not very pleased with her answer. It was basically just like elect the right people. Um, you can watch the video if you want. And then after I interviewed her, um, thinking that she was a really sincere anti-war candidate, I looked a little more into her record and it's still better than anybody else running for president, but it's still not very principled. Um, she's not really against the war on terror. She was cool with surgical drone strikes, which is what Obama was cool with. And we all know about his drone record. So there are some issues there. I'm still grateful that she's even speaking out at all about interventionism. Um, but I'm actually going to make another video about it, kind of calling her out for that, because I didn't address that in the first one. So that's coming up next. Well, we will look forward to that one. And, uh, you know, I, I will always appreciate anyone who makes being anti-war the forefront of their campaign, uh, which she has. So I appreciate that. Uh, beyond that, like all of you, I will just remain skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, I got a reply from her on Twitter. I messaged her when I was is in France. Is that a DM? It is a DM. Oh, she DM'd me back. I mean, so I guess you can say- up and me forward. Got a DM. She also followed me on Twitter. I'm like, I'm so proud of that. I have to, I screenshotted it just in case she unfollows it. Like to prove <laughs> it. 
All right, um, you big time just enough. We get it. You're kind of a big deal. <laughs> I don't, so, uh, yeah, what I asked her was uh, whether she would support the complete abolition of the death penalty. And she said yes, actually. She unequivocally actually just said yes. Unless I it's via drone strike, I then know. we're good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Penalty, as long as it's far away and, like, limbs fly everywhere. As long as you don't right. see it and then it's somewhere else that I never go, then we're good. Right. <laughs> well, uh, Yeah. I'm also oh, curious, Board, just what are your plans uh, in terms of covering what I like to call DNC madness? Are you going to be at any of these debates? Are you going to be kind of uh, getting in the face, so to speak? Uh, I know that's not really your style, know. but are you of, the, of the DNC debates, yeah. I don't know. I might anything. just I don't know. watch them. I feel like during the, during the, all of like the primary debates, I like I was just like having drinks with friends. Like I, I we like reserve tables and like you know, like hot funnels. Well, yeah, they don't show debate. Maybe they do somewhere. I don't know. I'm sure in DC. Oh, in DC, it, yeah, it's what everyone. Everyone's like sports. What are those? Um, yeah, no, we watch we watch debates like at bars in DC. That's how it goes. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the big story that I'll say, like the thing to like look out for, like in the next month or whatever, is that uh, early July. I think is going to be a complete shit show here in DC. Uh, there is going to be on July 4th, Donald Trump has like turned the 4th of July into a, hell, into a, ce- into a celebration, some might say, of him. Uh, so unlike previous things where it's just kind of the fireworks and whatever, and, you know, the president wishes everybody a happy barbecue, kind of like, you know, for, in a video from the White House, Trump is like going to be at the Lincoln Memorial and there's supposed to be this like 4th of July march. And so all of these like MAGA people are coming into the city and Antifa plans to like, has some, you know, do something. But two days after that, so that's a Thursday, on the 6th, July 6th, the Saturday, uh, the entire world of like the most hardcore MAGA people, so like Laura Loomer and like Mike Cernovich, Roger Stone, um, and the Proud, the entirety of the Proud Boys, right? A, A bunch of like, uh, what a lot of people would call like fairly far right, like not deplatformed, they're called. <laughs> well, yeah, they're doing a so they're calling it like a rally for free speech, and like theoretically, they're like going after like tech censorship issues. But Antifa has already begun very publicly coordinating an opposition to that. And in my mind, this is the closest thing we'll have to like the way that inauguration day was where so many people were coming from out of state to like participate either in celebrating the president or like fighting and we have sort of three days where like those people will all be in town i think that saturday will kind of be the um like climax of it but i'm anticipating that being a big thing and so i i plan to have like other like i'll be out there and i plan to have like other people out there with me to like just make sure we capture everything in case they you know burn the city down or something well well fingers crossed that ford stays platformed and hopefully remonetized yes. through all this stuff uh before i let you guys go this is very important uh due to some of these issues it is more important than ever that you guys get support from the people that support you and the people that appreciate your work. So I want you guys to both take a minute to plug uh, everywhere and any way people can find you. And of course your Patreons, because that is how people are going to get more content from both of you. So uh, Carrie, why don't you take it away first? So I think the main thing here for me is to just spell my name. It's C-A-R-E-Y-W-E-D-L-E-R, Carrie Wedler. So you can find me on any platform, but Twitter Um, I'm on Instagram which is a good spot for libertarian memes. If you have not gotten into it, there's a great community there. I'm on Facebook. I have a public page there. I'm on YouTube. The URL is Carrie Elizabeth 824 because I chose it before I ever knew that I would be making videos and you can't change it. Uh, but I'm on all of those places. I'm on Patreon. Um, I'm on cryptocurrency too. That's in my YouTube description on all of my videos. So um, yeah, more than anything, it helps to just share the videos if you like them, uh, like them, give the engagement. Um, I really, again, I don't do this for the money. So I appreciate even just a like and a follow and a hit C first on Facebook, because I've been told by a lot of people that they no longer see my posts. So that's it. And Ford fire. Yeah. So I'm Ford Fisher. My name is F O R D F I S C H E R. There's a, there's a C you wouldn't expect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the platform is news to share. It's news, the number to share one word. So I have uh, both Facebook and Twitter uh, for both of those things, me personally, as well as the outlet. 
And on YouTube, it's just news, the news to share sort of channel. And I'm also on Minds, minds.com slash Ford Fisher. And I have Sorry, a, I say that. Go yes. ahead. <laughs> uh, and like you mentioned, so I do have a Patreon. Um, the Patreon's name is news to share, but the URL is patreon.com slash Ford Fisher. So I think you could probably Google search Patreon Ford Fisher or, or Patreon news to share. You'd find, find it either way. Um, but so generally I'm, I'm pretty accessible. I guess I would say that the, the newly changed thing is if you want to be financially supporting me, then Patreon's the way to do it. Like just going to YouTube and watching a DiGiorno's ad before you watch some people beat each other up uh, isn't going to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's a DiGiorno. Whack. Punch it out too. <laughs> well, guys, uh, I just want to thank you guys both for taking the time to come on the show today. Uh, I think your work is both very valuable in different ways. I hope my listeners will uh, will feel the same. Hopefully, they've heard of both of you before. But if you're new <laughs> to this whole thing, if you just stumbled upon this, please look more into the work of Ford Fisher, News to Share, and Carrie Wedler. Folks, I hereby declare this official meeting of the Jew World Order. <laughs> no, no, you ruined it. Don't say that. And platformed. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carrie Wedler and Ford Fisher, two awesome activists that are more than worthy of your support. So please do check out their Patreons and all the work they're doing. I will post links to everything you need over at today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 406. Of course, once you support Lions of Liberty on Patreon first. <laughs> I joke, sort of, not really, but I-, I want you to support whoever your heart tells you to support. If that's every liberty activist you run across, fantastic. If you got to pick a few of your favorites, fantastic. I hope you're we're one of them. If not, that's cool. I'm just glad you're here listening each and every week, each and every Monday on my flagship show. But really, I hope you're listening three days a week because we have not one, but three shows here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. After I start your week off on Mondays, you've got Brian McWilliams with his energetic, rambunctious, sarcastic, often hungover look at comedy culture and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up every single Friday with his hard-hitting and very inspirational look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. We give you a great variety show here. We are the original Libertarian Variety Show, and I hope you're going to enjoy all the content that I probably recorded at Porkfest this weekend. Uh, I do plan to release a Porkfest show uh, with a lot of the content that I put together there, Uh, so hopefully look for that next Monday. I'm planning to do a little Porkfest compilation for next Monday's show, Um, but in the meantime, if you are a member of the aforementioned Lions of Liberty Bride and you support us on Patreon, fantastic news for you because you probably have a lot of this content already. And another great reason to join our Patreon is because these Democratic debates are coming up. They're going to be divided into teams of two to start things off. So I believe there's 11 candidates per night uh, this coming week. We're going to have debates on Wednesday night and Thursday night. And uh, after both of those debates are completed, we're immediately going to hop on the Zoom and we are going to record a reaction show. And uh, those will be immediately available to members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. Uh, If you join at the new $2 level, that is for people that do not get access to any of the normal bonus audio content or video content, but you do get to be in our secret Facebook group in which we will be live streaming those reaction shows. So it's kind of a way to check out the pride, support us a little bit. If you're not ready to give us the full 5, 10, 15, 25, even 100, we do have a $100 level. Uh, if you just want to kind of dip your toe in, toss us a little support and see those live reaction shows as a way to get a feel for some of the content that you'll get in the full Lions of Liberty Pride membership, we encourage you to check out that two dollar level two bucks what you got to lose two bucks that's what (laughs) you have two bucks to lose uh but please do consider checking that out either way we do plan to post all of those reaction shows uh to the main public feed eventually in addition to the normal three-day-a-week format. These are going to be completely bonus shows, completely free of charge, because we charge $0 for for that normal public podcast feed. We just ask that you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our great shows, including these reaction shows, which are sure to be a hoot. Uh, The ones we did four years ago... God, was it really four years ago? My gosh, it was really four years ago. We did recaps of all sorts of Republican and Democrat debates, and those those actually were part of what really helped us take off. Uh, we did a lot of tweeting about the debates, got a lot of people coming and finding the show uh, by searching for that stuff. So we're looking uh, at it as an opportunity to not only grow the show, but to have some fun, because, Lord, we're going to need to have some fun with this thing. If we're going to survive it, if we're going to survive the next year and a half or so, 
We're going to need to take a whimsical and libertarian look at things. So please do join us for that. And please do continue to roar with us three days a week, at least until we get completely deplatformed, in which case we'll begin meetings in a secret, undisclosed location. And uh, that is a day when the liberty movement will really take off. I'm looking forward to it. But until that day and until next time, my friends, please won't you just live long and live free.